Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Black Mirror, Pears, Brandy, Calvados, Oregon, and so much more with today's guest, Miss Janine Rocked of Clear Creek Distillery out of Oregon. They make some fine brandies, a fine whiskey, and so many other O to V's. And what better place to talk about O to V's than on Show to V? It's a great chat with Janine, very, very intelligent, cerebral career forward career focused and it's great to just dive into her head because she doesn't have a social media presence beyond some great pictures on instagram so there's not a lot to know about Jean unless you catch her in a room or catch her in one of her classes but i think you guys are going to enjoy diving in to the mind of janine so without further ado i hope you guys enjoy this great chat with janine rocked of clear creek distillery I've never had Facebook. I, you know, it started in and around you know, college where you had to have a college email. Yeah. And, um, I had one, but I just, and funny enough, my major was speech communication and yeah, media, media relations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I really wanted to work for the BBC. Oh, and, geez. And um, that mixed with a little bit of paranoia on my end. I really like talking face-to-face with yeah. people. And um, I, believe it or not, I am very much an introvert. For my job, I am. I've taught myself to be an extrovert, but I need to recharge, and it just was beyond me to think of the ability of being bothered. Or you know, when I was trying to recharge, just the idea of social media. I'm also a huge Philip K. Dick fan. Okay, <laughs> Android's Room of Electric Sheep, Ubik, yeah. and so you know, my love of sci-fi and the looking at the possibility of what this could turn into scared me. And I thought, you know, hopefully in a few years they won't want to poke and prod and test me because I, you know, come across people that haven't had Facebook. Yeah. But um, Instagram, it felt less intrusive, and I'm very visual. I love pictures, Mm -hmm. and I like to communicate that way because people can't learn too much about me. That's a great Um, point. Only context clues and a seldom reflection in a mirror. Right. Which you can see. It's true, yeah. And I think half the time, all the bullshit that people put on social media isn't real anyway. It's yeah. like, you're having so much fun on vacation. How come oh, you're I posting yeah. every moment? Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of crazy. So. Well, let's <laughs> talk about BBC and sci-fi. Sure. Because I'm really, really still upset. Every episode of Black Mirror that I watch. <gasps> <laughs> I love that show. It's incredible, <laughs> right? Like. It's a, there's a place here, and this is a long way to go to an analogy, but it's a place here called Trudy's. It's a Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay? They make something called the Mexican martini. It's a very, very strong culmination of you know, olive juice, tequila, all this shit that we can only do in Texas. It's not hmm. particularly good, but they limit you to two. <laughs> Got it. So you walk out of there with two, you're fucked up. Wow. Right? So that's how strong te- this is. And tequila's the only spirit? Yeah, they'll do a Cuban like one Like a three-ounce pour or something? It's a massive pour. Yeah, massive, massive pour. Well, I was thinking today, I was like, well, sometimes it's good. That it was probably good that they cut you off. All right, right. Black Mirror, from a psychological perspective, I can't handle more 
than two episodes. How do you feel about the show? Um, it's it is a little bit mentally exhausting because it yeah. does. It's not just a show that you you know turn off and go to bed. No, you your can't. brain keeps thinking and. Um, it, much in the way that Pandora always leads to the Beatles, uh-huh. at least I've noticed, yeah, yeah. I think that most sci-fi um, nowadays, it all leads back to Philip K. Dick totally and, and Asimov. And and so when I watch the show, sometimes I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep here. Or, you know, this, it, nothing, no one's invented the wheel. There's nothing that's yeah. fresh, but to have it visual. Um, s- the first episode, I'm going to be honest, I think it took me three weeks to watch to the it. next episode. I still haven't watched it because Ugh. someone told me what it was about. I'm like, I don't really need to see that now. It kind of spoiled the pig fucking for me. You, you know, know so. I totally wish someone would have told me about the pig fucking because then <laughs> I could have not watched it as well. Um, but then you get the the idea right, behind right. it. Um, I also, I'm a little bit of a wimp. I We weren't allowed to really watch a lot of TV growing up, so I hate horror movies. Do because really? they I have very vivid dreams and I mm. will incorporate them in my dreams. So I will watch oh. a commercial for a horror movie and dream about it for three Oh, months. my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty bad. No, but I know that there's this... There are a lot of people that have this uh, aversion to horror movies. I'm not exactly sure why. For me, there's some conscious thing where I'm going to face my fears head on. Mm-hmm. So if I hear something rustle in the woods, my wife gets really mad. She's like, why are you going towards the noise? <laughs> like, right. That's just how it goes. I want to confront it. It usually ends up being a raccoon or something. But, right. you know. But yeah, it's... It, yeah. So go... Well, then we'll intersect it one more time. So technology saying too much, people not really doing anything even though they're taking pictures of it. Mm-hmm. That second episode, the American Idol one. Mm-hmm. How did you feel that kind of dealt with technology and our a fixation on it? <clears throat> so that wasn't the press up or down. It was the... That's the one where it's like you go on American Idol and they basically tell you what your life's going to be worth. Everybody on the treadmills. Oh, gosh. And you get points, <laughs> right. And if you die, you can give your points up That's right, yeah. to someone else. I think that um, there's a saying, you know, is it better to um, live to work or oh, work to right. live? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a little bit of a workaholic, but I also love my job. So sometimes, you know, it doesn't often feel like work. Mm-hmm. But it, it is frightening to think that metaphorically we're watching this technological approach to what exists now yeah. this i didn't feel like that was something in the future even though right, it was kind right. of metaphorically in the future i felt that um you know between money and jobs and uh, you know people trying to spend time with their kids when they're home and you know they get nannies and babysitters and then weekends they're just trying to clean their house i mean it's just that's not everyone's life yeah. i mean Clearly, there are women that work. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Not to but bring it's, up that sort of subject. But that but was like a, that's <laughs> an interesting underlying piece, though, too. Yeah. The sexism there. Yeah. It's like we don't need another woman singer. <sighs> yeah. Dude, I mean that's it's heartbreaking. So it is heartbreaking. To wrap it, you know, two's enough. I don't know that I yeah. can do two. I think one's probably enough. Yeah, and I think that maybe it would be best if all. Sometimes you want to relax, but if all movies and or shows, I kind of see the Black Mirror shows because each are produced mm-hmm. separately. Um, they are like little movies. Yeah. But if you think about if, if there was work to challenge the viewer with most of our shows, we wouldn't be spending 10,000 hours in front of the TV. Yeah. It would be so exhausting. That's a great point. <laughs> like intentionally making you chew on it. Right. You have to take space. Yeah. You can't mass consume that stuff. I think right. that... That is a metaphor for the BBC and much of the TV that goes on there, you know, taboo and and all this kind of stuff. 
Well, so you mentioned that you weren't really allowed to watch a lot of TV as you grew up. Were you, are you from Oregon originally? I was born in South San Francisco. Oh, okay. And um, lived there for a few years and moved out to the valley, this mm. little city called Atwater. Oh. It um, used to be known kind of like the butt crack of, of uh, California. <laughs> it's in the San Joaquin Valley. Okay. There was an old Air Force base. Uh, but moved to Portland when I was um, 13. Wow. So I went to school, went to Portland State there. Was that was um, the family that caused the move? Did you? Yeah, my dad was working in um, in energy as an electrical engineer, mm. and they just did a bunch of layoffs in California, and he found a job in Portland. So it was kind of completely up in the air. You yeah. know, we're either moving to Texas, to Oregon, and I was mortified. I thought that I was moving to farm country. <laughs> I wasn't going to have any friends. And what was really funny is when we moved to Portland, I realized how much I was living in farm and dairy country. Yeah. Um, in Atwater, there was so much ag. You know, our neighbor, one of my good friends, had ostriches. And oh, that's so or, cool. We had horses next door and um, had a ranch-style house and, and some property. But, um, yeah. So what kind of things, you know, 13 is, I've moved around kind of around that same yeah. period. Oddly enough, the same exact choice for us. Yeah. Either Portland or Texas. Oh, funny. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, we ended up in Houston. Yeah. But well, that's been all right. I've been all yeah. right with it, you know. Have you seen Sliding Doors, Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's totally yeah. right, yeah. I guess I'm the brunette or you the brunette? One of us has to be Whatever. the blonde. I don't yeah. really want to be the blonde. I can be the blonde. Okay, well, that's good. Thank you for, for continuing <laughs> Taking that. one for the team. <laughs> yeah. You, so you talk about media studies. You talk about communications. So what kinds of things were you doing for kicks as a kid? Like before you started moving to Portland, are you talking sports? Are we talking reading? I mean, obviously some reading, it sounds like. Right. So I grew, I had an interesting um, upbringing. I was, I lovingly call it the cult. Oh, yeah. I was pretty much raised in um, a, a very strict religion. So no birthdays, no holidays, mm. um, you know, sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. Really restrictive in terms of food. Wow. Um, no what, what's one of those restrictions on food? Uh, nothing with a split hoof. So no pork, oh. <laughs> no giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, no crustaceans of the sea. And so just overall no no seafood. And that sounds like, uh, yeah, very, very yeah. orthodox. Yeah. So I, but. I left when I was 17. And, um, you know, of course, my parents thought that it was just like the black sheep stage. But I was like, no, nope, I think this is pretty crazy. You had enough of it. I've had, I've had more church than anyone should have in their entire lives. So, yeah. um, but it was fun. I, I did have, my parents are great. Um, I had a great upbringing in terms of they were great parents. It was just teachers don't know what to do with kids. Yeah. Um, in the middle of nowhere, there wasn't even anyone Jewish at our school. So they would put me outside of the classroom, and I would read a book. So if they were singing Christmas songs or whatever, I couldn't actually be around it. Oh, my God. Um, religiously, not yeah, mentally. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so I ended up just flying through books. And my dad gave me the Stanford reading list when I was, like, I don't remember how old. And so I was, like, on a mission to try and read as many books as I possibly wow. could. Wow. So. so very academically focused. Or really yeah. cerebrally focused, maybe. Right, yeah. I had to live in my own brain for yeah. quite a while. Yeah, well, that's what we do when we move, right? Yeah. The only people we can count on are yeah. ourselves. Because exactly. there's no social. Yeah. It's no social group. Yeah. Sure. Did you, yeah. so 17 is pretty young, but it seems like mm -hmm. a very, very prosperous age for many. Mm -hmm. Did you have that wanderlust for world cultures to travel, to try new things? I imagine it was pretty pinned up at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the real, really interesting aspects of um, the religion was you were required at certain periods of time to leave your household. So we actually did travel oh, all wow. over to Europe. So it's it's really funny to to live restrictively, but then be exposed to things. And we are a creature of our surroundings. Yeah. And, um, so I distinctly remember, you know, two of my earliest culinary experiences outside 
um, both my grandmothers and my mom, great mm. cooks. I learned to cook from them. But I remember my first soft-boiled egg <sighs> in London. <laughs> wow. And it was served on a little pedestal. And you crack, crack it. it. And I, my parents hated runny yolks. And the first time that I had a beautiful, buttery, runny yolk, I was like, this is what an egg is supposed to taste like. Yeah. And then oxtail soup. Oh, and man, I remember it so distinctly. And like from then, I just decided that travel equaled food and food equaled travel. And now that I travel and eat a lot of food, I just realized that everyone in some way likes food and we speak through our food. Yeah. And you can kind of figure out what's culturally important based on how people treat food, mm. what goes in their mouth, and really how long they spend at the dinner table. That's, it's, that is exactly, if there was any theme to life for me right now, is that food and drinks are the absence of technology, right? Because you have to, it's like the last places you have to go. Mm-hmm. You sit your ass down in a place, yeah. you find an Uber, you drive, but you have to go, you have to attend in person. Yep. There's nothing that can supplement drinking pear brandy with you or pear, sure. you know, like there's nothing that can do that. So the pursuit of higher ed and going to Portland State was that something that was that was going to happen from when you were a young kid to do the college thing? Yeah, my um, my dad went to Berkeley oh. and got his master's at San Francisco State, and so it it was very apparent that it wasn't an option for yeah. me. And it wasn't even a two year; it was a four year. Um, my my dad said it was really important, and his theme was always if if you want to be a garbage delivery person, be a garbage delivery person, but you're going for four years, mm. um, which is fun because he didn't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's also an important lesson, student loans, and it's really great when you finally are able to pay them off. Right. Autonomy is like, good. Mm-hmm. Scheduling is even better. Right. When should I turn my assignment in? Should I turn it? Should I go into class? Yeah. How many classes can I miss? And still actually squeak <laughs> on by. Right? There's a great lesson yeah. to learn there. Absolutely. I wish someone would have really explained the university experience to me because I wasn't a big fan of middle school or high school. Mm. I just, I mean, my last two years of high school, I had half days. I had gotten so many credits, and it's like, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. You should challenge a student more. And Keep them. Yeah, you got them under the roof, yeah. right? Keep throwing things at them. Yeah. And oh. I was on the volleyball team, so, like, you're required to have, um, you know, a certain amount of class yeah. credits or something. So I technically could have just taken, like, one or two classes. Oh, man. So anyway, I think that um, I just had a really great university experience. I enjoyed it a lot. Did that help socially? Do you feel like you kind of became maybe self-proclaimed introvert, but maybe it helped you communicate externally better with people connect with people like in conversations yeah yeah absolutely i think that um especially at being in the middle of a bustling you know city i think it's really cool to not have it be isolated um in terms of a university experience and living and being around everything but i from the moment that we had orientation and i was reading all of the descriptions of all the majors i chose one and never strayed I actually took so many uh, speech and linguistics classes that I double majored in no kidding. <laughs> speech communication. Do, do you speak any so. other languages? Um, a, a little of quite a few. Oh, good. Uh, good. A little French, a <laughs> little Spanish, a little Russian. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really frustrating. I wish that, you know, considering my cultural diversity, it would have been nice. Um, I think a lot of people, when they move to the States, they just want to acclimate and not yeah. speak their language. But, um, yeah. I th- it's one of those things I really regret. I took, we take, yeah, we take foreign languages in high school. It's not really functional. Right. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of conversations and you're mm-hmm. just going to French restaurants or filling out tests and stuff. So I think we're at a disadvantage in that sense. So when you talk about 
So, because I'm, I'm doing the math here, right? So, you got mm-hmm. Portland State, mm-hmm. four-year program, I presume. I don't know if you pursued your master's. I don't think so, right? Um, no, I've taken a few um, more master's courses, but I stopped. Yeah. I was like, eh, I'm good for now. And I go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is actually on my dime. So, I, mean, I think I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm doing okay. But you start with Clear Creek in 2006. Mm-hmm. So, how long had you been out of school by the time you sort of working with them it was my first i will say real people job that's my first that's incredible yeah and i just never left how did you how did that situation come to be that you met the people that eventually ended up hiring yeah. you there so i was doing an internship at the time um to get credits and then also just to keep myself busy because um, i wasn't busy enough <laughs> at the children's museum in the development department so oh, i learned cool. a lot about like charitable work and nonprofit work and also learned <laughs> Learned that I probably never want to work in a nonprofit. Not that I won't donate to them. That's a great them, lesson, but, though. Oh, you know, so stressful. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that I didn't realize yeah. uh, went on. But um, they basically really, really wanted to hire me, and they didn't have any funding for uh, any staff, so they took it upon their personal mission. And um, one of my good friends now, Nicole, um, who I reported to, she came to me and she said, "You know." I know that you wanted to work with the BBC and I know you want to work, you know, in media or writing or, you know, just anything where I can video kill the radio star type of situation. <laughs> I just wanted to be yeah. like old school Sherlock Holmes or something. Um, <laughs> so she she brought me a job description and it was posted on the Reed College wall. And Reed College is like this, at least in our area, it's known as being um, a very academic college, but with a history of a lot of, like, in the 70s. Oh, you know, okay. Acid. And, yeah. Um, people are called Reedies. Oh, interesting. And so Steve McCarthy, our founder, a Reedy, posted it on the Reed um, wall, and Nicole had worked with him a lot because he um, had been in the Portland area for a long time and does a lot of charitable giving. And she said, this description, so they're looking for someone at Clear Creek Distillery I know Steve McCarthy very well. Read this. And so one of the things that popped out at me, it included um, you must be able to carry 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. You must be comfortable driving a stick shift dock high delivery truck, (laughs) which it was not dock high, nor Uh was it ever. We got in a lot of trouble for that because people were like, you know, it needs to be dock high so we can get the forklift on. Yeah. Uh, And it just, it seemed very different from, you know, jobs I was applying to. Um, So I applied and they hired me. Um, so one of the really cool things about Clear Creek is um, everyone has their little hats, their little jobs, but, you know, especially back then, mm. everyone pitched in, you know, dug fur picking and um, labeling and, you know, whatever you could do to help out. And so at the time, they were looking for someone to kind of rework. They never really had a tasting room per se, but Steve McCarthy is one of the people um, who worked on the legislation years ago, he wanted to be like a small winery. He wanted people to come visit his distillery, try it, maybe buy it if they like it. So my job, my official title was, you know, running the tasting room. So we took it, you know, into an actual kind of a a real tasting room with, you know, a little store and a system and a tour schedule. Um, But yeah, it it was great because I got to learn the ins and outs of how we make every single product. Yeah, for 10 years now. 11 years. Sorry, 11 11 years. old oh this July. God. I'll be celebrating my 11 That's year. incredible. Yeah. I mean, to think about, gosh, it's like the whole school that you've been intro to out, out of like former college, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. It's the school of distilling. You're working with 
like sub pop records, right? You're working with like Discord. You're working with the guys who kind of were at the forefront of taking something out of the ground in American distillery. Yeah. Putting it in a stone for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's got to be kind of a cool gig. It's a really cool gig. It's And once I realized how cool it was, I, <laughs> I just made sure they would never want to get rid of me ever. I just tried to find out anything I could. I read every book I possibly could, um, asked every question I possibly could, uh, paid attention, yeah. you know, was willing to work every single weekend, work late hours. Um, is that what kind yeah. of, so you had studies in Mescal, you had studies in wine. So is that where all that kind of stems from is be the best that you can be in terms of what you know? And yeah, what you, learn. you know, which is tough when, you know, you're paying out of pocket. But um, the reason why I started doing the Court of Masters Psalms is I work with a lot of people that are heavily wine focused mm. or maybe that's their only education in terms of distributorships and um, especially 11 years ago i would be meeting with the gm or the sommelier not the bar manager oh, yeah. i mean there's been a huge shift clearly because cocktails um restaurants are were able to realize that they're getting you know really nice margins and cocktails are becoming a thing yeah. so you need someone to be ordering the spirits and not the wine and the beer and the spirits so I needed to learn to communicate with them. And I needed to be able to earn their respect because it's not given easily. I also you know, work in an industry where there's not a lot of ladies. Yeah, that's a good point. So I thought that one of the best ways was to educate myself. So um, I learned uh, about wine. And um, yeah, then I did the Mescalier program. And uh, I'm kind of a geek, so I just... No, but I just think I you can. like to read. You like to yeah. learn. I, I think you... Does... So I'm a white guy. I'm a guy and I'm white, right? So walking into a room, I have a lot less challenges than other people might, mm-hmm. right? And I got a beard. I kind of look like a hipster. So like it's even easier <laughs> fucking in Austin. You look very Portland. <laughs> but, well, I guess very Austin, but yeah. <laughs> there, well, Same thing. Great. Yeah. No. <laughs> Just but for you, think do is it a conscious thing thinking that I am a woman in this industry that's male-dominated? I need to outperform and out like over deliver on all these things because you reflect the potential and what people maybe aren't tapping into in terms of hiring. Absolutely. Every single day I have thoughts that go through my mind or checks and balances or um, whatever it is that, you know, um, other people don't necessarily have to really think of. And actually a really good example, I was having a chat with a a friend the other day. Um, It's very, very, you know, in terms of sales, it's very common to have business cards. Yes. Right. For example. So, um, you know, I was having a discussion with someone about business cards and and they wanted my opinion on when do you use them? Hmm. You know, when do you not use them? I said, well, you know, for me, I have always felt um, that there's kind of a natural, like, I would like your contact information moment. Right. But as a woman walking into a bar handing a man or a woman your phone number, Oh, that's, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes you learn, you learn a lesson um, and then you just change the way you do it. So in terms of what I do, I don't just hand everyone a business card. I mean, that's a really simple, basic example. No, but but that's actually a great, I never like here's my address and my um, name and how to spell it and, and my phone number. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I, I would never have to think about that. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame because I, I, I pride myself on empathy. Mm-hmm. It's the only way any of us can get anywhere is by understanding what hardships other people have been through, or at least the kinds of things they have to approach. Right. So we're talking 11 years then, it's profoundly a different 
environment for women in the hospitality and brand industry, mm-hmm. would you say? Yeah. Um, I think that um, there there are more women getting involved, which is really great, yeah. um, especially in higher positions. But there still is this dichotomous, the word brand ambassadorship, I feel, has been so kind of bastardized because mm-hmm. you do have people that are just hired to you know look pretty or yeah. wear a certain outfit. And then you have um, people that take it seriously and they do want to be taken seriously instead of, you know, how they look or whatever it is. Um, it is changing and it's changing for the better. But I think that, um, you know, we have a long way to go. Yeah. Well, a long way yeah. to go. But yeah. I, we all do. We're in a weird spot. Absolutely. Lots of us. Right Everyone. Now. Yeah. I'm, everyone's in a, there's a long way to go. In a lot it's of a ways. funk, you know, yeah. it always kind of feels, and it, the, the gray weather today does not help this funk. Yeah. It's been lurking around for a couple of days now. It's crazy. It was, um, and of course, for me, I look outside and I see clouds. I'm like, oh, it'll be a little cool. <laughs> no, it's worse here. Yeah. So misleading. So humid. Although my allergies have been much better here. Oh, than really? Every other place I've traveled this year. Yeah, I actually got diagnosed with um, allergy-induced asthma. Oh, my gosh. Do you have an inhaler? A week and a half ago. A so week I'm trying and a half? to not have one because it's steroids and all that stuff. Right, yeah, right. I did have to get medication. Oh, my gosh. I just couldn't figure out what was happening i just couldn't I, I never knock on wood get sick as much as i travel yeah. i should but i think it's just because i expose myself to so many germs um, it's a very dirty world yeah like someone <laughs> sneezes on a plane i just inhale really hard. Um, I, i'm I just joking like, oh. <laughs> or someone coughs i wait like yeah. what's the blast radius when can i hold my breath totally, and walk yeah. gotta uh-huh. keep healthy yeah you know yeah it's important well let's talk about clear creek amazing stuff right there's so many mm-hmm. we can talk about the, the whiskey which is Lovely has this campfire essence to it. One of the first I ever tasted. American whiskey is that tasted like that. But I want to talk about brandy. Sure. Brandy is a huge part of American history, peach brandy, apple brandy. But yet, it feels like it's lost on people's minds. Consumers don't really understand cognac's brandy. They don't understand Armagnac's brandy. So for you, having this great collection of brandies, which we'll dive into in a moment, but just the general warmth for brandy in the market. How do you do you feel that's changing? You think there's a big education gap? I think the answer is, is twofold. I think education is definitely important and that's most of my job. Sometimes mm. people ask what I do. Well, I do national sales, but I make relationships with people and I educate. Yeah. Um, people's eyes glaze over sometimes when you start <laughs> talking about Ode and Grappa. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's changing because I get l- a lot less blank stares when I walk into <laughs> places. Like maybe they've heard of Clear Creek. Um, and I mean, in terms of press, we were really lucky over the last 32 years to get some really nice press, which affects us like advertising. But I mean, Okay, and then so the other answer is there's some money coming into the game now. Ah, there are some bigger companies right, that yeah. have, you know, started and sold other companies that are like, okay, we're going to make brandy a thing. That's right. I think it's going to be know who a we're talking thing. About, yeah. It's going to be a thing. Right. Um, and maybe other people aren't doing anything with it. So, I mean, my opinion is the seasonality of brandy has been a little bit restrictive yeah. in terms of you just can't whip up you know, a batch of um, raspberry eau de vie in the middle of winter where you can make vodka and grain spirits and, yeah. um, or if you're using like juice, like liquid, mm-hmm. in terms of using fresh fruit, which, you know, eau de vie, in order to capture it properly, it's very important to use fresh whole fruit. Right. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I think that 
I'm sorry that I say so many sayings. I'm realizing no, this it's is okay. coming out of my mouth. So. I'm getting wisdom. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> a, a rising tide raises all ships. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am. Um, I think I'm a very positive person. I think that it's only going to bring a name, yeah. you know, to brandy, and and then when people are able to sit down and smell and taste instead of just the one brandy in front of them, I think it's really cool that there are options now. Absolutely. And you know, every not every you know place has a brandy distillery. It is the most expensive thing for the most part to make. Mm. Um, but when you look at something like mezcal, mm. and you just, I cannot even wrap my brain. About, it is so big. People don't even flinch. Hundred thirty dollars bottle. Yeah. Um, so I think that with education, the more and more people realize that these types of brandies, it's very much like a winery. You wouldn't walk into a winery and they're like, we're sold out of our 2012 Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. No one in their right mind would say, well, why? Can't you whip up a batch? There's this, in even if someone doesn't know about wine, they understand, I see vineyards, I see grapes. That's what the wine's made out of. Right. When those grapes are gone and the wine is gone, it's not growing. We've yeah, I don't the think people, I, you're right, because yeah. there are there those brands, right, that mm-hmm. have it all the time, and Honiac, again, even mm-hmm. though it is very seasonal in France, but it's mm-hmm. like, they just kind of think, actually had someone from France say, that's the problem with you guys, is you don't realize in the States that everything has a season, you mm-hmm. just get anything you want, you get yeah. mangoes year-round, yeah. bananas at any any day of the week, you know? uh, And tomatoes, those horrible, yeah, yeah. horrible mealy tomatoes, and nothing is better, in my opinion, in Oregon than our Hood River strawberry season and our tomato season. Oh, and both of them are a week or two. And I I eat more tomatoes than it's like I, yeah, why not use beets during the winter? Yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm so appreciative when I go into a place and there's that thought put into it. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why our agricultural industry is just it's such a mess. It's ridiculous when you've trained um, customers to expect things year round there's a point where there's just no expectation anymore. You yeah. walk into a grocery store and you better find tomatoes and avocados. Yeah, it's what I want. Limes and lemons. and We're very impetuous, like just compulsive people. You yes. know what I mean? Well, we, That's not our fault necessarily. If you give us everything, we're going to yeah. want more and everything. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, the, the Industrial Revolution and you have, um, you know, we have all these periods of time in our, the, we're quite a young country. We have all these prohibition. Yeah. Stopped things. So you have all these things that stopped or started um, we want everything French. We don't want anything domestic. Yeah. I don't care if we're growing beautiful blackberries down the street. I want the mirror from mm. from France. So that is starting, you know, to shift clearly the whole farm to table, farm to glass approach. Um, I think it is yeah. changing too. Yeah. So you you guys have this amazing portfolio of stuff. Do you think I, I use the word sleeper? Because that was the term in the 80s, like in movies. And Do you play fantasy football? No, 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 no. Never, never. But, you know, we'd go. But my mom was loved movies. She talked about Babette's Feast, which maybe we can talk about. But she's always written foreign movies. They're like, oh, this one's a sleeper. Mm-hmm. So with the amazing bottles you guys have, the amazing marks, what do you think's that sleeper in your bag that when people taste like, holy shit, this is blowing my mind and I had no idea it even existed? You know, we... We do make a lot of things, and it's hard to choose. Although the pear brandy is still oh, what we make the most yeah. of, what we sell the most of. What's it takes the proof on this guy? Eighty proof, yeah. so forty percent takes twenty pounds of pears to make a bottle. It's the only ingredient outside of water we bring or add to bring down the proof. I think it's fantastic. It's um, clearly I'm biased, but it's the pe- best pear brandy I've ever mm. ever had. Mm. 
Um, there are a few European brandies that I've had, a few domestic brandies, fantastic. But I think one of the reasons why it's extra special, all of the um, all our fruit grows within about an hour and a half drive from the distillery, oh. so we're really hyper local. Need it to be fresh. Need it to be local. Um, need to be able to drive to that. Farm, Very, yeah, so, absolutely. Know, get your eyes on the on the fruit. Uh, but the farmers in the Hood River Valley grow the most beautiful Bartlett pears. God, they're it's and so good. It's just up to us to screw it up. So we just, <laughs> you know, take fruit, we crush it with, uh, pulverize it. Yeah. We actually don't use the juice. We just crush everything, skin and all. So ferment on on bagasse with like you would with agave fire. Right, and yeah. you know sometimes people look at it and they're like, oh, it's vodka. It's like, no, this is not flavored vodka. Vodka yeah. is made differently for a different purpose, meant to be neutral. And then you know with all our flavored because now that's getting a little out of hand right um no it's made completely out of pears distilled once and i think it's just a really great expression of how a distillate unaged really i mean it's not rectified it's not refiltered it's um it's the pure expression of the fruit and we want you to be able to you know close your eyes and smell and taste a pear oh it takes me inside of a pear i mean that's the best part about this it's crazy because sometimes you just well i just get the acidity or mm-hmm. I just get the bitterness, or I just get the crisp starchiness. This has all of those elements, you know, and that's why it's exciting because, it, I mean, I couldn't drink when I was a kid, but I sure as hell ate a lot of pears. Right. And it takes you back to that moment. It's instantly familiar. Yeah. Not a lot of things can do that, especially spirits. Right. I think it's also a fun activity in how our taste buds and our smell, our mm. olfactory works. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but I will have people that will, you know, smell and taste it. And what they say is, I'm not getting the pear. What? I'm not getting the pear. And so at first, outside of just thinking these people are fucking nuts, (laughs) I started to realize that's not what they're saying, unless they have a cold. What they're saying is, a pear to me is sweet. Mm. A pear to me is sweet, and all I recognize a pear for being is sweet. Mm. And they're not, you know, really getting all those other notes. But if they really took a moment to smell and taste and just try and take that sweet aspect out, it's like a deconstructed pear. Yeah. It very much smells like a pear, but without that one component, it is lost. That's so people. strange. Because mm-hmm. pears to me were never overly sweet. It was balanced. Yeah. With mealiness, which I like that kind of starchy flavor, mm-hmm. with just a subtle punch of sweetness. But nothing that red sweet to me ever. Right. Well, the bricks of sugar in a Bartlett pear clock in at about uh, 12. And so when you're looking at like wine grapes, yeah. You're looking at you know twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's so they low. they actually are pretty low in the in the fruits of of the world in terms of bricks of sugar. We only ferment to about five percent alcohol. But wow. um, one of the things we really pride ourselves on is not using the mealy pears. There is like a graininess uh-huh. to a Bartlett pear, but over years and years and years of um, buying forty thousand pounds of pears at a time. Mm. Uh, we actually stick the pears next to the stills so they ripen very evenly. Oh, wow. So all of our fruits we get uh, just once except for the pears and apples where we're getting a few batches during yeah. the fall. Um, their season's a little longer. And I didn't know this about a Bartlett pear before I worked at Clear Creek, but they don't benefit from ripening on the tree. Oh, no kidding. So they're actually picked green, hard, underripe, which is usually how you buy them in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So if you're buying them for home... You put half in your fridge, half on your counter, and they'll ripen at different periods of time. We can't do that at Clear Creek. So we actually stick them next to the steamy stills, which during the fall, we're already working through the cherries and the blue plums and the mirabelle plums. And yeah. It's warm and it's you know very humid, and it actually ripens the pears evenly. So oh, that when we amazing. crush them, they're perfect. You think about um, 
a good use of energy too, mm-hmm. right? It's just expelled heat and humidity that helps do something else. You would have to buy a humidifier, you know, you have yeah. to buy this other equipment that's brilliant. Yeah, and waste energy. And yeah, totally. You're yeah. kind of like recapturing it. Yeah, and everything that trickles out of the still first, the heads, um, we actually clean with. Yeah, that's amazing. So the apple brandies as well, that's becoming a bigger category with people like Copper and King, for instance. Right. I know that California is making a big play in the larger grape brandies and some apple brandies and Mm -hmm. things. But so how do you, do you feel like the brandies as well, the apple brandy captures that essence of the Hood River Valley too? I think that, so all of our apples are um, from the Yakima Valley, okay, just okay. over the river, yeah. so super close. Um, once again, Steve wasn't reinventing the wheel. He looked at what fruit was growing around him, and, you know, golden, delicious apples, not the sexiest apple in the bunch, <laughs> yeah. but turns out it's a great brandy-making apple. His family orchards, they were growing pears that were Bartlett pears, oh, and then man. golden, delicious apples, so, I mean, it's why amazing, not? yeah. Uh, so it was a really great use for that apple, great you know, acid component and bricks of sugar and water and pectin because we don't add sugar or water to any of our fermentations, right. um, which is tough when you're dealing with skin and whole yeah, fruit no solids. Um, so I think that um, apple brandy, you won't often find unaged apple brandy because the nature of it and the bitterness of the skin, it's yeah. pretty hot coming off the still. So we actually have two expressions of apple brandy. Um, the younger one is aged two years in old cognac barrels. Mm. And our older is our version of Calvados, although we would never dare call it that, aged yeah. for eight years. Amazing. And what's interesting is we don't add caramel coloring, and which means sometimes like, the younger one's darker than the older one. Yeah. But I think it's a really great um, way to talk about this industry in terms of thinking about a spirit visually. If someone says, oh, shouldn't that be darker? Right. Like, well, let's welcome that conversation. We're not adding anything. So we liken our younger one to um, be a little bit more like Applejack or what Applejack used to be before mm. it was fortified with a lot of grain spirit. And at this point, most Applejack has such heavy American oak components, you might as well just buy bourbon. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so I do think that um, the apple brandy is pretty restrained and the apple still shines through in both. And then, of course, our traditional grape brandy, our version of Armagnac, yeah. Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir, That's killer. That's, yeah. I mean, it's exciting. And you came in, you're actually in town now. One, it sounds like you've been on a massive tour of America. <laughs> yeah, I thought New York back-to-back with Texas would be a grand old plan. So. <laughs> <laughs> How many weeks have you been on the road now? About a week and a half. Jeez. Yeah. You said, gosh, like 12 engagements or something like that? You said you had a bunch of... There, yeah. I mean, usually my trips aren't that long. This one, I just thought, you know, it'd be fun to make it longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I came into town to do some seminars and, you know, visit some folks and just kind of putter around Austin. It's yeah, a fun place good, to be. You come, how often are you in Texas? A few times a year. Um, I'll be in Houston end of June. Oh, cool. Um, but I try and get to Austin at least you know, two or three times a year. A lot of inquiring minds. You know, a lot of people really interested yeah. in this category. We're, you know, if it's like that in Portland, it's going to be that way here yeah. in Austin. You know? And I love it. It's still not lost on me. It's still refreshing when someone does ask a, geese, a geeky question and I can, you know, answer it. And they're kind of like, well, shit, I was trying to stump you. And it's like, That's no, let's so have this oh, conversation. Yeah. No, I mean, I can tell that you talk about bricks. You talk about fermentation. It, you know, you've been there. You yeah. smelt it. You've got almost 11 years of experience right. with it. And I'm still learning every day. Sure. It's not that I've ever not known, but I'm the kind of person that, you know what? I don't know. So I will go find that out. That's right. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, so two two questions left for you. 
this has been, I would consider, a very definitive chapter of your career, the one that probably mm-hmm. introduced you to many things and became an amalgam of your interest in cultures and interests in food, interest in literature. It feels like the perfect profession, to be honest, with your interest in all of those things. Right. Now, not to say you would ever leave Clear Creek, right? But someone that is ambitious and someone that wants to keep learning, what do you see as maybe the next move for you? I think I think it's still, I know I've been at Clear Creek 11 years, but it still feels so young mm. in terms of the changes in the industry. There's just so much happening that I, I definitely cannot imagine. Um, but in terms of, I would love to do more traveling. Yeah, I would love to learn more about what's going on because I think that the more we travel and talk to people, I think the better we become because you were saying before that that compassion aspect, yeah. that putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, and there there is so much going on, and I think that it just makes us better people. So outside of, I don't know, starting my own restaurant. Just, <laughs> just joking. It sounds like the worst thing. I would never ever do that. Um, I like cooking too much. So More of this but larger. <laughs> more of this, more of this, but larger. <laughs> it's just for a t-shirt. That's, yeah, that's good. But then, you know, like if I were like, what, what are you, are you eating to win? Like what's, what's the yeah. point here? You know? Yeah. Well, I thought I liked that because it leaves things quite open, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you'll keep traveling. There's no doubt. Yeah. So much to learn around each corner, you know? Yep. So the last question, and I have no idea which way you'll go with this. Let's say you are sipping whichever of these wonderful brandies or eau de vies you want to at your favorite bar in the world. And you could sit there and have a conversation with someone living or deceased. Who would you love to just sit, sip, and have a conversation with? Um, this is actually reminding me of an interview that I had in college. <laughs> so I, it's a really tough question because, of course, I, um, since then I've had you know close people that have passed. Yeah. So like part of me wants to bring that back but I love art I love food um, I think at the time I said Pablo Picasso mm. I just find him so warped and it just it would maybe it would ruin it to find out why he did what he did on, right. on paint um, who would I bring back ah. oh here we go a Pieces. Pieces. so Tell a me, Pieces, yeah. uh the first documented um, cookbook okay so it's in Latin. It's been translated a few times. I've been trying to work my way through it. I have four different versions. And I said earlier I love cooking, but yeah. I also love that kind of weird stuff. And it's a little bit like Sappho. How, oh, oh, how okay. Sappho is so well-loved, but nothing of hers was finished because half of it was lost and like just to project so much. So Apicius, the way that he wrote, or it's assumed it's a he. Uh-huh. Um, so I should say the assumption is Apicius is a he. Um, the The... The pieces, the the fragments that he writes are ingredients in no particular order. There aren't very many cooking times. Wow. There are some in a few, mm-hmm. but like it's just this language of writing down what he's cooking in dishes, but maybe ensuring that no one would ever want to get rid of him. Oh wow! And kill him. It's just it's really cool. That's so yeah. I've, I've been working my way through. I'd love to ask a bunch of questions, including, you know, there are a few ingredients that can't be researched or they don't exist yeah. or whatever it is. But. Or different name, right? They've evolved. And you can't or they've evolved, yeah. I'm always the first one when I see an herb that I've never seen. I'm like, yep, that's coming home with me. 
Um, so yeah, I think the TSA is really starting to worry, right? You know, actually, there was one time I came back and there was a thin layer of this like Hungarian cayenne pepper oh, over no. all of my luggage, and I was trying to figure out why they would open it, but I had this really fresh thyme. I think they just thought oh. it was like you know marijuana, or right? Whatever. Uh, but yeah, it was all over my luggage. It was that's what you get from being a culinary with a gourmand. Yes. Is, that, is that good? That's a positive yeah, way to call that's it. That's yeah. positive, yeah. Well, it's, man, this pear brandy, it's like the golden goose of the terroir and how pears should taste. I mean, I, I really just can't speak highly enough about it. And its reputation preceded itself, you know? It's been around. It's, we've been talking about it for so long. And to, like, get to share this with you yeah. as a direct conduit to the distillery, <laughs> a purveyor of knowledge and all of this stuff, it's... <laughs> Just really, really great. And I, I hope you've enjoyed your Austin stay here the past few no, it's, days. It's always a blast. I really love coming here. It's fun. And this the timing for this worked out. So good. Perfectly. It's it's not the same over the phone. No, it's, it's not. It's not the same, you know, but it's it's good to do it in person. It is, because now we can riff. Right? It's, right. it's all about the riffing. All about the riffing. And the dumb jokes coming from me <laughs> and seeing how you put over that yeah. shit, right? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's been lovely getting to chat with you and... There'll be lots to talk about till the cocktail. And it sounds like when you get more information and you said that they just kind of started posting that dinner. Sure. Let me know. I'd love to share it. I'd love to see you there too. Absolutely. So, You'll have to come to the dinner. I'd be my absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Janine Rocked of Clear Creek Distillery making a wide array of beautiful eau de vies, brandies, and even a rustic malt whiskey. It's great work out of Oregon, and it's great to see that Janine has been with Clear Creek for over 10 years, defining this chapter of her career professionally and academically and cerebrally is Clear Creek being in this industry, getting to travel around. And I can't imagine how amazing this Babette's feast-inspired dinner will be during Tales of the Cocktail. I'll post some details here in the coming weeks, and I hope to see you guys out there at Tales of the Cocktail and chat with even more of you and Janine. Hopefully, we can sip some more of this amazing pear brandy. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how often you think you should update your Cody app, because much like other things on the internet, security is a priority, or if you're thinking, man, I'm tired of getting up early in the morning and watching Fox News. Please keep dancing.